1: If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. But At participating McDonald's.
2: If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes... Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go.
0: This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss. The lore in the making. Luckily, smart food popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavours. It's a smart decision. Every time. Smart food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com.
2: You're listening to The podcast, a weekly adventure into nature and the British countryside from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name is Fergus Collins, and I'm your host. This series, which is season 15, is focusing on the mindful benefits of wandering in the green outdoors. And who better to hang out with than poet Kenneth Stephen? Kenneth dwells on the Isle of Seal in the Inner Hebrides and has a deep connection with his wild surroundings, as you'll discover in this lovely, whimsical recording. And later, join me and the podcast team in the studio after Kenneth's adventure to reflect on a few countryside stories and what we've been up to in the wild.
1: I had been all set this morning to go further into the, what I like to call the wildscape that lies behind our house and our long garden. And then when I came up to get the recording equipment, I suddenly realized that I could do little better than stand outside my studio at the top of the staircase and record from here because it's, a, it's an amazing place in and of itself and I don't really need to go further and as it's blowier than I thought it was going to be I'm also afforded a little bit of shelter here and what I want to do is really to try to give a sense of a real picture of where I am. It's never easy to do that, but I want to, I want to do my very best. As I've said, I'm standing outside my studio. The studio itself is built over a garage. So there's a staircase, a stone staircase leading up and around to the door that opens onto, uh, opens onto a simple, fairly simple studio space. Here I am at the top of that staircase, looking north, out over what is really the, the, the northern bit of, of the Isle of Seal. Um, you hear a blackbird competing with me uh, in the background there. And I'm looking straight onto the Lochen, which is called, locally, Teddy's Pond, affectionately. And one or two houses that are beyond it. That lochen, as we know it in Scotland, as we would call it, um, is not immediately below me. It's about 150, 200 yards away. I never know metres, so I can't work that one out. And in between where I'm standing, um, outside the doorway to my studio, and that lochen, Teddy's Pond, as I've called it, there's about Yes, as I've said, however many yards, however many meters of flat ground, real, it's, it's just marshland. Green brown and at the moment full of marsh marigolds. Yesterday and the day before it was busy already with the first butterflies. Now at the beginning of the month of May. Today, it's not. It's been wet through the night and wet early this morning. It's a kind of warm summer rain that somebody from the north of England described it to me a year or two ago as a lazy rain, which I liked and wanted to remember. And yes, it was a lazy rain. And as I look down on that marshy ground lying between me and the Lochan, I can see the pools of water in between the marsh marigolds. You would... Without doubt, take your life in your hands if you were to try to cross it to get to the loch in that way. Nobody, but nobody, would do it. So, I hope that that gives a sense of where the water is and where the marsh is, because I want to talk about both um, in, my, in what I want to say and read today. You'll also, doubtless, I'm afraid, would that I could get rid of it, you will doubtless hear the occasional car passing, because the road, the road runs almost parallel to the east end, the east side of the Little Lochen. Now it's quiet again. And beyond that, to my right, so I'm looking out with the Lochen ahead of me, the road just beside that, a little bit over to the right, further to the right, and beyond that, over the golf course. A bit of field, rough ground um, and a, a lovely stream which is busy with wildlife, there's an arm of the sea uh, which I know I have described before. A narrow bit of water filled with with yachts and one or two fishing boats that runs up to the little strait, the little narrows that lie between us, our Isle of Seal and the mainland. So that I hope gives a, a very rough picture of, of what it's like. To the other side, I think I should fill that bit in because it's missing. To the other side, to my left, as it were, of the Lochen, are low hills. They really are very low. They're probably to 200 feet at the very most. Covered with beautiful trees and over the last few days, maybe I'll get Get them on the pick them up, pick the bird up on the recording. I hope I will. Um, the cuckoo is always busy there, and I suspect my my sad belief is that it's a lonely cuckoo um, that it hasn't found a mate for the last three, four, however many years. some goldfinches um, fluting as I like to describe it above me as i as I stand here in this vantage point. That gives a picture of it. It's a wonderful place to see nature. I often just stand here enjoying it. This is my, it feels my place and I feel privileged to have it. And I'm not going to reveal all the things that I see and hear from here yet. But I will do through the course, in the course of of what I record today. What I will mention though, I'm looking straight out at an edge of roan pipe that runs, oh there's the cuckoo, just starting, how wonderful, it may not be picked up by the recorder, it's muffled and away in the woods but it's there and I'm pleased it's there. I'm looking at the roan though that runs above um, above the garage and for my studio and I can remember, I think last year it was, I had the privilege, I felt it was one of the most wonderful privileges of my life a swallow came and sat on the edge of the roan um, and just sat there watching, quite, I'm, I'm perfectly sure that that swallow was aware of me and it was twittering away in that wonderful kind of South African language that it has of clicks and twitters. It was clicking away to itself and talking, and I said the odd words to the swallow, and it was quite content for however many minutes, uh, and then flew away over the marsh ground that I've been describing, trying to capture to you, doubtless on a hunt for, for flies. It's wonderful not on a day like this it's too breezy and it's not warm enough but normally it's it's just a treasure trove um for for flies small insects and what Scotland is uh, unfortunately very famous for um the midge there are there must be hundreds of thousands of midges over that water on a June evening and so therefore it's appropriate to start with this poem um, Swallows, which comes from, which was published in my last collection, Out of the Ordinary. Swallows. Every summer dusk they come, these silky soft black shapes that flit and nip the stillness of the light, above the loch that lies unmoving grey, the air all smudged with midges, dancing in a thousand Highland jigs. The swallows dip and curve, they smooth the sky in silent shadows weaving back and forth. I stand and watch their patterns through the dusk, the day's breath held, no single sound alive, and think of all the thousand miles that lie still mapped inside each swallow's flight these fluttering things that come in clouds in spring that sweep around our lives all summer long and then fly back the length of Africa again. I think of how our living on this gentle earth is swallow light so delicately fine. I wonder what we'd be bereft of birds like this that touch and bless the edges of the heart. And the cuckoo calling now from the wood that I was describing, from the edge of the wood, somewhere in, in among those trees up ahead of me and over to the left of the loch. And I'm always promising myself that one day I'm going to go and explore those woods and look for the cuckoo. But has it happened yet? No. I keep promising myself year on year. And hopefully, yes, even though the cuckoos have a strange life and a strange pattern with their egg laying and their theft of other birds' nests, I still hope that the cuckoo finds finds its nest this year and the next. It's wonderful. It's part of spring. It's a harbinger of spring. The loch as I look at it now, Teddy's Pond, is completely empty of birds, devoid of birds. And I cannot say how rare an occasion that is. It's, my wife Christina nicknames it Rentaloch, because there's almost always, almost invariably, one group of birds on it or another. It's busiest of all with geese, and not only with greylags, but with Canada's as, as well. And they know their respective spots. They know their places. They really do. And In front of me, so between me and the lochen, there's a kind of sub-lochen, an even smaller bit of wet ground. And that is, that's a kind of nursery ground for the greylag. Beyond that, uh, there's a wall that runs, a a dike that runs along from one side of the lochen to the other, almost as if it were a a dammed loch um, for hydroelectric power. Which it's most certainly not. It's where it's actually where the stream it is brackish water because that stream is a tidal lochen and therefore very important for what it supports. And that stream fills the lochen every day. The nursery pond that I was talking about is used by the Grey Lag, busy with them, and they nest on its shores. And It's wonderful to see the the little ones gradually growing, growing stronger and and flying incredibly fast. Uh, This miracle of of nature that they learn to be adult, gray lag geese, grown-up geese so fast, so extraordinarily fast. There is nothing there today at this moment, not a thing. The other day when I looked out of our kitchen window because we have a a semi-good view, semi-decent view over the water but it's much improved by height, by coming up the stairs, the stone staircase to this point the other day there were, to my absolute joy, four swans almost certainly Hooper swans on, on the Lochen and I think before I read the poem I want to say just how I'm constantly blown away by the whiteness of those swans. They somehow turn the rest of the land dull and grey and it's as though the land hangs its head because there's a whiteness, there's a, a, a brightness that the land simply can't compete with. It's like seeing, I think that it's the equivalent of seeing sheep against a snowy background. Um, sheep, which we think of as white, suddenly become incredibly grey and dirty creatures when you see them against the whiteness, the purity of, of snow, a snowy bank. I saw these swans and almost immediately picked up the pen and, and wrote this and called it Transcendence. In the grey-blue of the day and almost Easter, there in the evening the four swans lighting the loch. Like things struck white, the shore, the hills, the sky, all dulled and somehow under them. Like angels birthed in the still becoming of the year, the unresurrected gray. I stand at the window watching, see the gray of my own hands, until they lift in four graces, and strengthen into the wind, bringing a birthing, a new beginning, so afterwards the land remembers them, is left still shining." I'm having a struggle here at the top of the of the stairs, out in my little open-air studio and um, to keep paper together uh, because of the I had no idea that there was um, such a strong wind today, but it's, it's clearing the skies. It was very misty earlier on, and it's actually doing the land um, and the light a great service because the island is becoming clearer and clearer with every second. There are tiny little patches of blue appearing in the overcastness of the day. I may even be getting on the recorder here the sound of Wonderful, wonderful conversation of of little birds over in the willow trees, just beyond um, the fence that ends our, our our garden, such as it is, our wild garden with its pond a lot of a lot of what I write um, as a poet is memory based. I'm a great believer and have been for years um, in digging into. The peat bank, that's how I like to describe it, to think of it. The peat bank of the memories. Sometimes that can be, of course, just going back to something, a diary, a diary piece. Remembering the swans, for example. Remembering that swallow. And then—and just as I mentioned the word swallow, there is one. Oh, thank you for that swallow. Coming out over the lochen. They've just been here for a few days now, and it's so wonderful to welcome them back. There were three chasing over the lochen yesterday, um, and in, doubtless in their hunt for the first midges, although it's still early and still, it's hard, I find it hard to know just how they survive in these, these first few days. Because it's still cold. The land hasn't... We have warm days. But it's still pretty cold. Our evenings are cold. And they're here. They're here and they manage to survive um, until such time as, as, as things are properly awake and, and, and properly alive with, with winged creatures. I was talking about memory though. The repository of memory. The peat bank as I like to describe it. And I grew up... As I will have mentioned in other podcasts, not here in the West Coast, this was the place that I came to in the summer months with my parents. But I grew up in the very middle of Scotland, in Highland Perthshire. And I often go back, and have gone back, time and time again, into that peat bank, into the repository of memory for stories and for poems. And th- and that childhood, I know it's It's something of a a cliché to say so, but it was truly a wild childhood. Um, I had the privilege of of being out the whole summer, in the evenings, in the afternoons and the evenings. It was safe enough to be out and up on the hill um, above our, our house, and into the woods there there was no danger in it the only dangers were barbed wire fences and i don't know ponds perhaps but we knew to take care i and my friends knew to take sufficient care but there was nothing else that we were that we were concerned about that my parents were worried about and this is simply a, a short piece celebrating the truth of this it it will seem perhaps romanticized it's I suppose, a bundling together of the joyful moments, but I don't think it's truly imagined. Um, This is pretty much how I, I remember it. Highland. All childhood, I would be out at dawn and up like a kite into the woods. It was running the hill until breathless to stand under scurrying skies. It was being in the woods and listening to the roaring of great trees beneath. The woodland was badgers and a hiding of owls. It was the blue screech of jays and the joy of deer battling out over the fields. It was the knowledge inside that all this was a gift that got bigger the further you went. They're not here anymore they're not here at the moment as i look down from the battlements (laughs) and i say that with a with a wry smile i often think of the staircase and and the last bit of this open section at the top at the top of the stairs and above the above the garage i think of it as castle battlements um affording this wonderful view just down below me i've described where i was hearing the Twittering, I'm not really very keen on that verb twittering, but it is really a kind of knitting of bird song, small bird song in the willows that are below me and a little ahead. And I know, we know, that down there in the willows is where the deer, two of them, like to sleep during the winter time. And often enough. We come downstairs in the morning, if we're early enough, uh, to see one or other or both of them grazing, um, usually beside my beside the pond that I made um, in in the garden, where the longer grass is to be found, and they've become pretty much unafraid as deer as deer do of our presence. They will occasionally. They will occasionally move off and, and jump over the fence, but very lazily. There's no hurry about it. And last year, at, at some point, it must have been, I don't know, late in the summer? Yeah, late in summer. I was coming up to the cabin, as I, as I describe in this, my last poem, and suddenly there I, I saw, down below me, right down below me, I had this wonderful, wonderful view of, of the deer, one of the deer, literally 10 yards, ten feet below me, 10 feet below me and 10 feet out into the marshy ground. And the wonderful thing was that it hadn't heard me, but I'm telling too much because I really recount this, I recount this in the poem and it, it speaks for itself really about our, it's a poem that becomes more than just a poem about that one deer and about my, my meeting with it, but about all of our encounter with the natural world. Our, well, what hopefully is becoming our better understanding of living with nature instead of working against nature. We seem to have spent so long uh, doing the latter. I think of all the great estates, huge estates, um, lying close to where I am and further north on the west coast of Scotland in Argyll and beyond. And I think of the awfulness of the Victorian slaughter of wildlife. When you read these accounts of the number of of birds, the number of animals that were killed in a kind of warfare against nature. And I like to hope that very slowly, all too slowly, we are beginning to change, we are beginning to learn, we are beginning to live with nature instead of working, instead of fighting against it heaven knows we have far to go but it seems it might seem let's hope let's believe that we are taking the first tentative steps into a new understanding of all this amazing world that we have been given much of what much of which is is lost already and so much of which needs to be better looked after better guarded for our children and grandchildren this then was my meeting with, with that deer. The place where I write and paint is up at the top of White Steps, a room looking out over marsh and a small pond. That night I went up thinking of nothing, finishing a painting, finding a notebook, closing the windows. There was still light at half past ten. The moment I climbed, high as the landing, I saw the deer below me, dark among the stems and flowers of the wetland. It hadn't heard me, somehow hadn't sensed the sound of my steps on the stairs. I stood, barely breathing, as the deer mouthed flowers and snugged among grasses. I heard the swish of its body, teddy bear brown, much browner than I had remembered. Then I moved one foot and it turned, looked up a long time as I looked back. Yet it did not run. Was there something like trust built between us after all those years? Or is that no more than make-believe? Is it possible after the gulf we have dug, the broken bond, the long slaughter of the centuries, can we rebuild still One beautiful thing at a time. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
2: So that was our dear friend, poet Kenneth Stephen, out in the wilds of his home island of Seal in the Inner Hebrides. A little bit later in spring, he recorded that last year, 2022. And as you can hear from the willow warblers and the bird song in the background, it was a little bit more advanced. But it's a nice time to be thinking about spring, and Kenneth's so generous with his beautiful poems throughout. So, for us recording this late February, early March, it gives us hope. All those wonderful things that spring has to offer around the corner. You can find out more of Kenneth's poetry uh, on his website, kennethstephen.co.uk. that's Stephen with a V co uk. Well worth looking up his. his just as a man who's immersed in the countryside and immersed in wildlife, always stirring to hear his voice. Um, and talking of the joys of spring, I'm joined in the studio by my dear podcast friend, Hannah Tribe. Hannah, lovely to see you. Hello,
0: lovely to see you too.
2: We don't have Jack this week. No. He's away learning oh, more about, Jack. he's learning about podcasts. Jack is our producer.
0: As if there was space in his brain to learn anymore.
2: No, sadly, sadly, sadly.
0: jamming it all in there.
2: So did you feel, I felt very relaxed after listening to Kenneth.
0: So relaxed. Such an absolutely charming portrait.
2: Every little element of nature was celebrated. And he's very much, I mean, he lives out in the wilds. He's a poet of the wilds and he's very much in touch with his, with everything that happens around him. So it's nice to hear from him. We haven't heard from him for a while. What else did you kind of pick out from Kenneth's uh,
0: um, I thought it was really interesting that Kenneth's father taught him flap, flap, hover to help him recognise when a bird in the sky was a buzzard. And I was wondering if you had heard oh, okay. of any similar kinds of the, rhymes or...
2: Well, yeah. Uh, yes, I do. I mean, I do with sparrowhawks is flap, flap, glide. That's a really good one ah. because any sparrowhawks and goshawks, I'm, I've got a sparrowhawks What's story. the difference
0: between hovering and gliding though?
2: Oh, hovering is staying still and flapping wings fast. Gliding mm, is keeping okay. yeah. your, w- your wings level and just kind of cruising as if you don't care. Hovering looks like a lot of hard work. So to remember how kestrels fly, do you, know what, how, <laughs> do you know? Do you know oh, what it is? No. <laughs> 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 so that's how you recognise a, a kestrel. Do, do you know? So do you? Do you know any?
0: Uh, so Can my mum taught to... me uh, a rook on its own is a crow, a crow and a crowd is a rook.
2: Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay, um, so that's
0: how to tell yeah. rooks and crows apart.
2: <laughs> um, I that's actually quite clever because yeah, rooks are noisy, gregarious. Yeah, and crows are well more solitary. Solitary, yeah. Sort of hanging out. And...
0: Also, um, a weasel is weaselly distinguished, as a stoat is totally different.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've always found that one really useful. <laughs> yeah that's yes, uh, that's um yeah
0: that's a whole other bag thing. Of,
2: bag of polecats <laughs> um that's absolutely yeah, thank you uh please do send in oh, actually, that's a really good opportunity to say, do you have your own ways of recognizing critters, dear listeners, if send us any thoughts because these are quite fun to to play around with, you can contact me and Hannah at editor at com. send us an email. Or ping us a tweet. At Country Far Mag. Country Farmag is our is our Twitter handle. Talking about sparrowhawks, flap-flap glide, flap-flap glide. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw well, I was walking out the other day, as I do, uh, in a bright sunny day. Bright sunny day is the important thing. And I looked up and I thought, there's lots of gulls above my house. And there is they don't look like gulls at all. Because normally when you see lots of birds together swirling around in the air column, it's 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 gulls, yeah. thin thinnish wings. And then I got my binoculars on them, and there were six sparrowhawks, all in a. So at this time of year, sparrowhawks, goshawks, and buzzards, and quite a few other harriers, and all sorts of birds of prey, they are doing these aerial sky dances, and sparrowhawks just sort of circle around and look at each other and kind of go fancy ho- hooking up for the summer. <laughs> um, but I was surprised to see six of them.
0: I mean, that's fantastic. That's six pretty, is crazy.
2: Pretty. Uh, that's the most Sparrowhawks I've ever seen in one yeah. place. And I don't know if, what they were thinking and whether they were all going to just pair off. Or, but it was, it was odd to see six because uh, yeah. it's obviously not youngsters together. Because uh, at the end of the year, you might see buzzards and extended buzzard families swirling together, all mewing and and being noisy. But no, that was great. And then this is going to lead on. I've got like a story that's going to lead on to oh, another right, story. I'm ready. I'm, ready. I'm so ready. So stop me when when you're, uh, Well, if, if I see you asleep, then I'll know. that. <laughs>
0: hear me first.
2: So the big cousin of sparrowhawks are goshawks, and there's lots of those in Wales. It's, yeah, massive, like the size of buzzards. Uh, and I was making a den with my son up in the local woods, and we made quite a good den with a big load of leaf litter to lie back on. And as I was lying back on the leaf litter and we were just chatting, this bird came overhead down the, sort of through the top of the trees above us. And it was a goshawk. It was just a long tail, buzzard-size, big stripes on its wings. And I thought that's pretty marvelous. Yeah. So, How were
0: you seeing all of these fantastic? I'm just
2: things? very observant.
0: <laughs> I spent a lot you know, of my such life. A I, don't don't have,
2: I don't do other things. I just I literally don't do other things apart from look for, for birds of prey. Maybe
0: there's a smell about you.
2: <laughs> well, like like I like a sparrow. <laughs> I track sparrows.
0: <laughs> sad rabbit. A sad
2: rabbit. <laughs> Now, the other thing, we built this den, and I, this is quite a... I don't know how you're going to take this story. Um, so we built the den, and it was above a path, so quite well hidden. We, we positioned it on a little sort of rocky outcrop above a path through the woodland, which is quite well used by walkers. And there was a sort of bit of pleasure of we were well hidden watching people going by, Robin and they out. couldn't see us. Yeah, we def definitely that sort of... Um, sense of not being seen anyway gr- a group of a f- sort of family walked by quite close probably 30 yards away and they couldn't see us they stopped they were chatting and then the woman came behind the tree for a pee <laughs> uh, we uh, we just averted our gaze obviously but it was that whole sometimes you can hide too well that's one of the dangers oh of den gosh. building
0: <laughs> so um, and- I'm, I'm interested in the instinct to not to not say excuse me but it would have been so
2: embarrassing she would have been so shocked and horrified like it would have been awful better to just for her to go on her way and she was none the wiser if you talk about den building, as being this wonderful, and it was a yes. wonderfully bond, bonding experience with with my boy. Sounds great. We had a lovely time. We cooked breakfast. We <laughs> lessons we learned.
0: Yes, always uh, check for dens before having an HL. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I
2: have got another story. Sorry, this is. I feel like. Okay, I've,
0: continue. I, I experienced an earthquake. Ah, I heard about. Did this. you hear about the,
2: the South Wales earthquake? Yes,
0: the Abergavenny earthquake.
2: Oh, yeah, it was. I was. I was lying in bed. I was listening to the cricket, very exciting, (laughs) looking at me like it's utter disdain. And there was a sudden rattling and roaring noise and the front door seemed to be banging and the windows rattled. And I was really dozy. It was about, as I say, midnight or something like that. And I sort of, I didn't even wake the family. I just turned over and went back to sleep. And I did (laughs) think at the time, what was that? Someone drive a lorry into the... Ha- oh, no, it was probably an earthquake. And I went back to sleep. And I didn't actually think about it in the morning till I just saw a news story on the computer the next day. It was such a weird thing. Yeah, And it lasted for about 10, 15 seconds, this juddering. I should say that... Hannah is wearing the most incredible dress today, and this is a kind of insight into which I think is really good to share with listeners. The insight to, can you explain yes. what it is? Absolutely okay, incredible. so
0: it is a navy corduroy empire line uh, shirt dress situation. It's probably about fifty years old. It was made in Mid Wales in the Laura Ashley factory in Carno. Yes, it's a very special thing.
2: And that's part of... So you are, I mean, for those who don't know, you are Welsh to the... Fully Welsh,
0: yes. Every every inch of me. Yeah, I was going through a, a difficult period a few years ago and I so desperately wanted to kind of connect with, I don't know, like my artistic Welsh self and Laura Ashley was sort of where I went to with that and I ended up collecting maybe five or six...
2: From a popular auction site. From so a popular auction online site. Online auction site. Yes. yes.
0: Um, so I've got this one, which is like quite plain, but I've also got very, very 1970s kind of prairie dresses with big Victorian high collars and stuff. And it's just, I love the the idea of them being made in Wales. All the kind of people who would have been putting them together, piecing them. And the construction is quite, um, it's quite obvious where the person was. So, um, unlike modern clothes, where you have overlocking over the seams, so that's the kind of
2: well, sort of hiding the seams, sort of quite
0: quite, quite tangly threads that go over the the seam. Um, there's none of that, so you can sort of see where people stopped and started stitching. Oh, really, Little so the hands hand, hand, the handcrafted. Uh, it's, it's machine sewn, but it's it's got a sense of. Imperfection,
2: very appropriate for the podcast, and I look forward to what Jack will be wearing next week. <laughs> Hopefully, mole skin suit. One other subject that's cropped up, and this is a wider kind of countryside British issue: tomatoes. Any problems? Have you Have you had trouble finding tomatoes? Well, in your I
0: don't eat raw tomatoes because they're awful. So, um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> what's it, the great tomato tomato no, shortage it's of 2023? Completely bypassed me. Really,
0: I'm glad no one has them because they're <laughs> terrible. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I apologize to all the tomato files out there I like uh, tomatoes uh, are Hannah's already behavior.
0: bad, like tomatoes yeah. in February must be the worst kind.
2: I know what you mean there is a lot there is a sort of other because this the story for those who don 't know though um in britain there 's been a huge sor- shortage of sort of salad crops this uh this winter for a variety of reasons and we 've got a good piece online countryfire about the the whole story and but we've got a lack of tomatoes and a lack of things like peppers and cucumbers and all that all that kind of but then the counter argument has been as you say winter these things are summer vegetables and it's only relatively recently that we've grown these in hot houses or imported them from morocco turkey southern spain you yeah, know it's i think the weather in spain has affected the crop yeah. as well so all these things, very interesting subject, but uh, it's been the talk of.
0: Well, when did you last have a turnip? That's the real question, I isn't eat it? turnips,
2: relatively, hey. re- I, mean, I don't absolutely look for. I mean, it's not like you know, I don't massively look. F- if I've got turnips in the fridge, I don't. My heart doesn't leap. I mean, what would you? What do you do with a turnip?
0: I don't know. So when I so this question, um, eating seasonally and all yeah. of that stuff, and I thought, well, the last time I had a turnip was in like July. Because oh, we season. grow mm. little tiny baby ones.
2: Oh, back at the family yeah. homestead. Yeah.
0: So I had like salad turnips.
2: Mm. That's a, I that, don't think I've
0: ever had the big ones.
2: No, they're kind of good in stews. But then anything's good in a stew. <laughs> it, it's like Swedes. Swedes are kind of. You think that's a lot of food to get me through the week, but it's, it's 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 got to be dealt with in 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 a you know, stewed or. I don't know. I've curried a Swede once. It wasn't too bad, but I wouldn't do it again. So we, we, the thing is, we've got used to having these out-of-seasonal mm. things. So when it when they do disappear, it's suddenly a shock to the whole system.
0: And I suppose, actually, eating those kinds of salad vegetables, they you can eat them instantaneously. You can get them out of the packet, give them a wash, eat them.
2: Yeah, that's the true. They come in packets, as well? Yeah. Well,
0: the, the turnips and root vegetables and the stuff that we have at the moment in this country... They require processing. Mm. You need to apply expensive at the moment, heat and all of that stuff. Yeah, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a thing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see why people might prefer to have the salad types if you've got to get these vegetables into you daily and anyway. five
2: a day yeah. yeah five turnips a day doesn't have quite the same sort of...
0: you're not allowed to, it's not allowed to be the same vegetable
2: oh, it has to be different vegetables yeah. Is that right? and
0: ideally different colors
2: we do always like to hear your thoughts on the various issues discussed either in the podcast or in the countryside or things you've been up to or sounds that you've recorded and Well, we just love to hear them and share them with other listeners. So please do get in touch. Don't be shy. It's a real pleasure for us to get some feedback, particularly the positive stuff. Um, And you can contact, say, contact me and Hannah and Jack, editor at countryfile.com. But for now, huge thank you to Kenneth for wandering out into the Isle of Sale and to Hannah for your lovely chat. You're very welcome. Do join us again next week when we'll be off for another adventure in the countryside. Goodbye for now.